We are in the book of Mark, surprisingly, Um, and uh, we are in Mark chapter 12, and I've got some notes somewhere, I think, as well. I hope we've got some notes, because otherwise it'll be a very short time, which... uh, Oh, yeah, mention this here, yeah. Contact cards, okay, if you haven't been with us before, if you, haven't, if you aren't getting emails from us and you'd like to, um, do fill out a contact form um, and uh, just we, we'll stick you on the email address. Alternatively, if you want technology, we have technology modeled by my beautiful assistant on my left. Um, you can, uh, we've got it, we use um, a little thing called MailChimp for sending the emails out and you can just put your email and your name in there and hit subscribe and we can subscribe you right here right now how's that for efficiency I can see you're all impressed good Um, so uh, good stuff so we are in Mark chapter 12 and uh, we will uh, read just a few verses from there in a moment but the thing about it is, in the history of, in the history of warfare throughout the centuries, a major tactic has always been to attack the enemy in waves. The idea is you get them before they get a chance to recover, um, greater chance of just either knocking them out or, or getting getting the upper hand with them. And this kind of assault, we also discover in spiritual warfare as well. And Jesus is under just such an attack in chapter 12. And we see that the tension has really been rising between him and the religious leaders. Now, this is no new thing. In fact, most of you, if you've gone through the book of Mark, you've realized that the problems have been building, the issues have been increasing all the way time, all the, through the time. But in this next passage, we see him confronted by three questions from three different people, or three different groups of people within the Sanhedrin. Now this ruling council was made up of Pharisees, of Sadducees, and scribes. And every time they come to Jesus, they come with a big smile on their face, from the teeth out. And this smile and these false compliments cover Hypocrisy, manipulation, truth is, they want to trip him up. They just do. So up first is the Pharisees. Okay, I'm going to deal with those today. Um, Next week, we look at the Sadducees, and they come with a different problem. And then the week after that, we'll be looking at the scribes and their issue. So you've got to remember, it's sort of attack after attack after attack on Jesus. So let's read what Mark has to say, first of all. So we're in Mark chapter 12, and we are in verse, lost my place, verse 13, okay? It says here, later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch, him in, to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? 
Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knows their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he said? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose portrait is on this and what is the inscription? Caesar, they said, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Now these Pharisees and Herodians To be fair, they are the most unlikely of bedfellows. They they usually hated each other, in fact. They, they, They had nothing to do with each other. But you'll notice that Jesus has got a unique ability of bringing people together. In this case, he brings them together against him. They, they, they want to trap him, they want to, they want to pull him down, so they flatter and they flatter, and eventually they just stick the knife in. And the question it's all over is, should we pay tax? Seems like a fairly easy question in many ways. Should we pay our taxes? Well, actually, you know what? Jesus might as well have taken a coin and just flipped it in the air with heads being yes and tails being no. And Because actually, if he said yes, well, it makes him out to be a traitor. And if he says no, well, he could be handed over to the Romans as a rebel. So Jesus replies and he says, has anyone got a coin? And Jesus, you know what? Jesus doesn't really need to see a coin. I'm sure he knows perfectly well what a coin looks like himself. So has anyone got a coin? Now, this being a Roman city, we're fortunate because I found a coin this week. Little bag here. These denarius are much bigger than I thought they would have been. But not, not to worry. And a little bit of background to, to coins like this. You see, the Jewish people, they were forbidden from actually carrying anything with an image on it. It was considered to them to be an idol, to be idolatry. So a very, very strict Pharisee would not be seen with a coin in their pocket because it contained an image on it. Just as far as they were concerned, it was wrong. Now this coin has got the head of Caesar on it and the inscription on the front of the coin says... Son of God. And if you flip round to the back of it, actually this may not be a genuine one. Apologies for that. It, it might, it, maybe they were much smaller. I don't know, but this, has got, this is double-headed, so apologies for that. Um, but on the back of a proper coin, it would be written, High Priest of the Roman Nation. Now, here's the thing. If the Roman authorities really, really wanted to offend the Jews... They'd pretty much done it, to be fair, just by producing this particular coin. So the question that Jesus is being asked here, the question that this whole issue is over, it appears to be a religious one. 
That's what it seems to be about. It seems to be to do with the love of God. In fact, how could they possibly compromise over an issue such as this? Surely in carrying one of these things and doing something like this, it is against all the rules. They are basically giving into idolatry. That's what it appears to be. However, the Romans weren't that stupid because they produced some other coins. In fact, they produced coins, copper coins, which had got no image on them. So it meant that for a Jew, they could actually buy and sell in the marketplace. They could get food. They could get clothes. They could do all their, their stuff without actually having to use these coins. However, big however, it was financially much, much more advantageous for them to work with this coin with Caesar's head on it. So Jesus says, has anyone got a coin? And the Pharisees, the Pharisees who are so opposed to such things they immediately can produce one. In fact, here's one here. Take, take mine. I've got one. I've mine. Here's a coin. Proving their hypocrisy. See, everything isn't just quite as it seems. It appears to be so plausible. In fact, Jesus are, and, and, and the, they seem to be so concerned over loving God and wanting to serve God and wanting to honor God. But the truth is, it's all show. It's not that genuine at all. Because these Pharisees have got Roman coins jangling in their pockets. In fact, they're benefiting greatly from Roman rule. Um, they're, they're getting a lot from it. In fact, they're quite happy to use these coins because it is very, very advantageous to them. Truth is, they're probably more concerned about their wealth and their riches than they really are about truly honoring God. And there's a simple and yet very, very important point here. We should pay taxes. You might want to hear that one, but we should pay taxes. We we are to obey the law of the land. We're not supposed to cheat the system. We're not, as, as Christians, we're supposed to pay what we ought to pay. We're not supposed to hide our income or not declare stuff. We need to pay taxes. In fact, Jesus says to them, give unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar. We, we, we need to pay what we, what we should The truth is that we all benefit from the system we live in our country, the NHS. We get our bins collected, look after the streets, and I could name 101 other different things. We all benefit from it. Even whether we think the system isn't quite right, or whether we think it may be even slightly corrupt in places, or just inefficient, we need to pay taxes. We honor God with everything The truth is that some of us can care more about saving a few pounds or getting a little richer than we can about honoring God. I wonder, have you ever been in a compromising financial situation? We face them regularly, I'm sure. 
When I, shortly after I qualified as an optician, I went to work for a particular chap who will remain nameless. Uh, you'll see why in a moment. In fact, they, they no longer are trading, to be fair. And I, I, said to her, I was working there for about six months, and I just ha- I was go- we, we were going off on holidays, and I happened to sit on the airplane beside a gentleman who went to the same, um, or lived in the same town where I worked. And we got chatting, as you do, and we, we began to uh, discuss what we did for a living. I said, I, I'm an optician. It turns out he goes to the opticians that I work in. And then he said to me something that was seriously concerning. He said to me, he says, it's a great opticians. All I've got to do is to go in there and just sign a little form and I get a free pair of glasses anytime I want. Now, that is not how the NHS works. And in that moment, I realized that my boss is doing something that is very, very wrong. I must admit, that holiday wasn't the most enjoyable of holidays. I spent most of it worrying and thinking, what am I going to do? I've got to go back there. I've got to do something. I can't just ignore this bit of information. I've got to... But then I'm thinking, if I, if I go and confront him, the chances are I'm going to lose my job. I've got a mortgage to pay. And all these things are going through my head. And when I do go back, I go back and I do confront him. In fact, I hand my notice in at the same moment. And sometimes it costs us to do the right thing. You discover that? Perhaps in your work, you know, when you, you know, it's so easy for us to get into these compromising situations where you think, you know what, you know, everybody else just takes a pen from work or borrows a stationery from work or actually takes a few stamps from work. Actually, that's just the thing done. But as Christians, if we want to honor God, those things matter. How we treat our employer, how we treat our employer does matter. One of the biggest challenges we face in work is that very often people will come in looking to fill it, to, to, uh, they've broken their glasses and they want to put something through on the insurance. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. That's perfectly, perfectly fine. But they come in and say, look, we've got, a, we've got a 50 pound or a 100 pound excess. You wouldn't mind if you just add 100 pounds to our bill on the quote. And we say, no, we, we don't do that. We've lost lots of custom over the years because of that. But we must honor God in everything that we do. The truth of the matter is we can so easily become hypocrites, particularly when it comes to money, because we can say with our mouths, we can say what comes out of our lips doesn't actually match up what we do with the money in our pockets. And Jesus quite rightly says... We need to give to Caesar, give to the government what belongs to the government. We need to pay our taxes. We need to pay our bills on time. We need to honor God in that whole area of our lives. And yes, God must come first, but we must learn to honor him in everything. But you see, Jesus hasn't finished here because he goes on. In fact, the question is very clever that they put to him, but Jesus' answer, way better and also a lot more challenging. He goes on and says, not in these words, but he says, I see 
another coin bearing a different image. And what Jesus is referring to, he's referring to people. Actually, people just like like you and me. He's, He's talking about us. And he says that the image of God is stamped on our lives. He made us so we belong to him. So Jesus concludes, you must give to God what belongs to God. In fact, we must give him everything he asks of us. And he asks that we give our lives. We must make God first priority. Guys, that's what it is to be a Christian. That's what it is to follow Jesus, that he has everything. And many of us don't understand this principle that we completely belong to God. We are to be worshippers. We are to serve him. We are to glorify him. In fact, the reason that you were created was to glorify God and to enjoy him. To enjoy his presence forever. So we give just a little bit of our time. And perhaps you just give a little bit of your money. And you actually believe that everything that you have is really mine. So once you've given a little bit of this and a little bit of that, whatever's left over, well, we just, it's mine. I just keep it to myself. It's just mine. Perhaps you even like to negotiate with God in the same way that a union negotiates with management. But the thing is, you are not employees. You're family. You're not employees. You're family. And listen, everything we have belongs to our Father in heaven. And the reason why we struggle so much with giving is simply because we do not understand that everything we have belongs to God. It's his. He's given it to us, and we, we, we prefer to believe the myth that the money in my pocket, it's, it's mine. But the, the Bible clearly teaches us that everything in all the earth is God's. In fact, we read in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 5, it says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandments, you shall be my treasured possession among all people, for all the earth is mine. Then we turn over to Psalm chapter 50 and verse 10, it says, For every beast in the forest is God's. Yeah? Every beast in the forest is God's. Good, you're getting the hang of this. And then it goes on to say, The cattle on a thousand hills is God's. And we turn over to Haggai chapter 2, it says, The silver is And the gold belongs to And this is what God declares, that everything in all the earth is God's, that's it. It belongs to him. So everything from farming to industry, everything from mountains to banks, everything you own and everything you don't, it belongs to God. 
And this is an issue of ownership. You see, if I was to... Second, see what I've got in my pocket here. Four quid. If I was to go to Paul and say, some second, Paul, and say, you know, Paul's a good friend, you know, Paul, I really appreciate you, you know, do you mind? I'd love to give you four pounds. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah is that okay? It's grand. Yeah, grab a seat. Actually, second, Paul, you, I couldn't just borrow, just borrow one pound, could I? Just for a pint of milk on the way home, do you mind? Yeah? Go ahead. Go ahead, let me a pint. <laughs> this is harder than I thought, to be honest. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> the truth of the matter, much harder than I thought to get money back off him again. The truth is, if you understand that the money doesn't really belong to you, it's normally that, not that much more difficult. It's not, it's not quite as hard to give it away. Except if you're Paul, of course. <laughs> It's yours. Yeah. Now, I bet you Paul's sitting here thinking, you know what? Just what a generous guy I am, aren't you? Yeah. More friends like me. That's what you need. More friends like me. That's it. It's good. But if we realize, if we realize that it doesn't actually belong to us in the first place, it will not be as difficult for us to give it away. So if we realize that at our house, our home, that right down to the loose change in our pockets ultimately belongs to God, it will change completely the way we think about giving. But if we really feel that it's mine, if we feel actually that it has, rather than something that God has graciously given to us in the first place, actually generosity is going to be really painful. we will actually feel as if God is cheating us in some way or other. But we realize that, we, that everything that we have has been given to us by God, that we are simply stewards of his resources, that we are simply investing what God has given to us. And the fact that in giving, we are just simply redistributing what is already his. You can see how that will change the way in which you give. Perhaps one of the hardest verses in the Old Testament on this whole subject is from Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8 to 12. And it talks here about tithing. Now, tithing is, is an Old Testament thing. Tithing is something that was 10% of the income that they were to give off their first fruits into God's house for the glory of God. And these people had stopped giving their 10%. They stopped giving their tithe. And God simply says of them, you are robbing me. And the consequence of this is just worth noting. It says the window of heaven is closed down and God's blessing has been removed from them. You see, there seems to be a link here between generosity and the blessing of God. And if our attitude is that what, what God has given to us is mine, and we just hold on to it with, with closed hands, with a tight fist, and thinking nobody's going to get out of my hands, but not only can we not give, because actually it's really hard to get out of your hand if your fist's closed so tightly, but actually... I can't receive either. 
I cannot give away, but actually I, I can't receive anything. And God says you need to come to me with open hands so that you can both give and receive. We need to be good distributors of God's wealth. That's what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Now this is, this is not just about financial gain. The truth is that God will pour out his blessing as he see fits. God will, will bless those in, in, in ways that we probably can never even really imagine of. And we need to trust that the sovereign God will do what is best for us at the right time, in the right place. And that can come in a variety of different ways. So don't necessarily look out, out for material wealth. But if God gives to you, be thankful and use it wisely for his glory but perhaps the words of Jesus that we've, we've heard already. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. We seek first Jesus. The one who died, the one who rose again, the one who reigns, who's exalted in heaven. If we seek after him with all of our hearts and seek after righteousness with all of our hearts, then those other things, well, God will take care of them. He sorts them out. There's a guy called Henry Crywell. When he was a, a little boy, he contacted tuberculosis. It meant he couldn't go to school. But a little bit later on, he went to hear the great preacher, D.L. Moody. And after that seemed to change or really speak to him and he, he prayed this prayer and went something like this he says he says I can't be a preacher but I can be a good businessman so God if you will let me make money I will use it for your service he following doctor's advice actually spent seven years working outdoors for a while and then he went and bought an old run-down Quaker mill in Idaho. Over the next 10 years, Quaker Oats became a household name in millions of homes right across America. And Henry, over the, over the, over the next 40 years, gave 60 to 70% of his income to the service of God to building the kingdom of God. And he was a man who was determined to honor God with his finances, to love God with all of his strength, and God enabled him not just to prosper, but also to be just a wonderful example of how to be a gracious giver, of how to honor God. And Jesus says, Give unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar, but give unto God what belongs to God. And God loves a cheerful giver, and he will bless those 
who honor him. Let's stand together and pray.